1: And today we have a special guest, Ed. Say hello.
0: Hi, I'm so happy to be here. You can't even know how excited I am.
2: (laughs) We (laughs) are so excited to have Ed in the studio with us, not really with us, but across the Zoom network. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like the mycelial network, but we are out here together. Well said. This is our first time ever having a guest on our podcast. And this is just amazing. Ed, we are so happy to have you here. I wanted to give a little background of how we met Ed. Ed is actually the main star (laughs) uh, (laughs) of a group called the Needs of the Many that he started as a meetup group in the Bay Area and San Francisco area. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, Ed?
0: Of course I do. And I could probably keep you all day, but I won't. (laughs) The long and short of it is that I got out of a bad relationship almost two years ago to the day. Mm -hmm. And she and I had been like, you know, as Star Trek people often do, we try to sort of indoctrinate the masses and help them realize that they should be watching Star Trek instead of doing anything else. Absolutely. Yeah. She was a huge, huge Enterprise fan. Hmm. and I'll just let those out there who need to judge her, on that, judge her <laughs> on that she's my ex anyway, so got out of the relationship didn't have anybody to do Trek with at the moment, so I went to meet up, because I'd heard about it somewhere, and I you know, San Francisco there must be like a hundred Star Trek groups, there was not a single one I was crestfallen in the moment, and then I said well, fuck it, I Yes, I can do this because, I mean, it's Saturday night and why the hell not? So I started the group and it was funny because I didn't really know if anybody was going to (laughs) join. And then people started to join and whatnot. And I love to tell just the quick story of our first group meetup, which we had. We had Chuck, we had Johnny, we had Gabe. They were all the OG members still are going strong. I'm very open about this. I'm many years clean and sober. It didn't even occur to me when I was doing it, but because I don't smoke pot anymore. But I decided to hold the very first meetup on April 20th on 420. (laughs) And I decided to hold it at my favorite cafe, which is smack dab in the middle of the Haight Ashbury. Wow. On 420 in the middle of the Hay. I decided to have our first meetup and there were actually like 10 or so people that came to the first one, they were like, you know, parking. (laughs) It was was kind of a pain in the ass. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I'm really sorry, you know, but it's gone strong. The thing that I love most about it, Irene said to me one day that this is where she had truly started to make some friends in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I mean, Dude, that's so fucking awesome. I mean, how yes. is this, Amazing. how cool is it that you start a group where people become friends, like good friends? We're easily findable on Meetup. Just look up the needs of the many. And so much of it's going on digitally these days. It doesn't matter if you're calling in from Hong Kong or Siberia or the Haight-Ashbury. <laughs> we want to have more people. I mean, that has always been the tone I've wanted to set is inclusivity. And the more people, the better.
2: Well, and Ed, I really felt that when I joined the group, like the inclusivity, and I was also at a place in my life where I had no friends left in the Bay Area. They had all moved away, and I was just looking for people who – liked the things I liked and did not realize that I was going to make a little Star Trek family along the way. And I I don't know, I'm just really grateful that you started this group because it really does connect people who love to talk about Trek.
0: And people that talk Trek are a really specific group of folks. And because of the nature of Star Trek, it's just so ingrained in our DNA and how much it becomes like umbilically linked to who we are you yeah. know those people when you start talking to them and the two of you guys I mean the herd sisters <laughs> we we often say are sort of a cut above oh my god I wish I knew as much as these girls knew um, <laughs> Thank you. I love that you guys are like a family of this too that is something that I hope that the two of you guys really have a lot of gratitude for because it's just a Awesome. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Star Trek for us has always been about family as well. We started watching it with our parents, and then the two of us just went really crazy and started watching all of it on our own. And yeah, that's what's brought us together. I've had a lot of friends say, Oh, I like your podcast, but I don't watch Star Trek, so I don't really understand it, which is fine. You know, like I don't have a lot of personal friends I know who listen to this podcast, but. When I get people who understand Star Trek and are listening, I get really excited. I totally agree with you. I've been to so many conventions, of course, big ones like the Denver Comic Con, San Francisco. I went to a specific Star Trek Comic Con in San Francisco maybe five years ago, and it's just a different breed of people. They're just all so awesome. So yeah, yeah, yeah. shout out.
0: to All of them. And just the brotherhood and camaraderie that we share is just, it's a cut above. I am also a super motorcycle enthusiast only thing that gives harley davidson enthusiasts a run for their money is star trek
1: oh we're so happy you're here with us and this is a perfect time to have you when we're talking about family and star trek anyway you know we're adding you to our extended family and adding the needs of the many i want you guys to talk about real quick your experience when the actor who played hugh contacted i would love if you shared that story yeah
0: It was while we were watching Picard together on Thursday nights and they had somehow found like a website that you can go to and get celebrities to make a video of a message and they got Jonathan Darko to do one for us. The fact that Kendra and Andrew did that for our group while we were watching Picard we had this video message from him just saying how he thought it was you know cool that we had this group and 2020 has become such a weird source of memory for me because yeah. we were watching Picard at the beginning of 2020 and that yeah. was what I had planned on being the theme of 2020. Uh-huh. Like, you know, hey, Picard's Star back, trick. And then, Yeah. And I think Jonathan made a mention to, you know, I hope you guys are all staying safe and appropriate for us. That's yeah. awesome. What a great story. Isn't that crazy? In San Francisco, there was no other Star Trek meetup group. Do you know that you can actually on Google Maps, it shows in the Presidio where Starfleet is.
1: Yes. Well, and uh, San Francisco is probably the most film location, like real life location, in the whole series. You know, yeah. so where? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The fans were waiting for you to bring them together. So they were like, "We need a leader."
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> so there you go.
1: Well. Let's get started. I just love hearing that story. Just thinking about like Hugh talking to you guys is so awesome. And I was just when we were rewatching these episodes for Picard, I was thinking about that. I was like, I was too. Yeah. How
0: it started. You know, like that was like the coolest,
2: best part of 2020 for me. It was amazing. It's
1: all downhill from there. I'm pretty sure that Picard premiered like January 23rd or something, like really right around this time a year ago. I know. Um, So here we are. Wow.
0: A year later. (laughs)
1: Let's start with our random Star Trek thoughts of the week. Rihanna, please tell me, what was your most random thought this week? So I had
2: a thought about language this week because we're watching Picard. And as we're going to talk about today with Riker's family and his son who had passed, he invented a bunch of languages. Mm. And I'm thinking, first of all, amazing. That's so cool. But also how do languages in star trek even begin like how do the writers especially continue to come up with all these incredible languages i'm always so deeply impressed by the amount of species and languages there are ed is showing his copy of
1: the klingon dictionary which i have i have one one as well yeah (laughs)
2: Yeah, I mean, I learned some Klingon back in the day. And I just think it's so cool to think about how expanding the writers are with language, even I think, of course, they expand the canon always. But it's cool to see language expand along with it. It's really cool to hear them speak a made up language that a son of one of our favorite characters wrote, (laughs) like how bizarre and amazing. (laughs) So that's my random thought of the week.
1: That's why I love fantasy and sci-fi. Lord of the Rings, I'm thinking, you know, created Elvish as their own language. It's really interesting to me how someone can have the brain capacity to do that, because that's just amazing.
0: (laughs) And I think it's wonderful to just be able to explore lore as a greater universe within whatever medium or show we're getting. I spend like ridiculous amounts of times in video games reading the codex for the same reason because I just kind of want to know more about the expanded world, whether it be language or history or whatever. That's a very good one.
1: Definitely. Well, Ed, you're on a roll. What was your random Star Trek thought
0: of the week? Uh, I think it was more around just the actual nuts and bolts of things, right? Yeah. Now. I really want to see more people from past shows in the next book So I was thinking while I watched the shows this morning, who's next? And I know that will be Goldberg, uh, which would be, but there and beyond, it would be great to see them tap even deeper into a very deep bench worth of people to come in and what dimensions they can bring to him. And I think that it's also great because I just enjoy seeing Seven in Picard's world because Mm. that's sort of the marriage of two worlds that, for me, were a different DVD box set. I love this idea of being able to bring in and have different shows worth of people or groups of people. I
1: really hope we can see Ensign Harry Kim just hanging out in a library (laughs) at Starfleet. (laughs) I know, know,
0: But I do love that Guinan's pretty much...
1: I think she signed. I'm pretty sure she did. Yeah. that.
0: That seems really important to me given the always sort of mentioned depth and history of their relationship. Yes. So Guinan needs to be there because of all of everybody that was in his orbit, you know, she was that old friend way,
1: way, way, way back. Ashlyn, what is your random Star Trek thought of the week? My random Star Trek thought is about Dodge and Soji. While I've been watching Picard, I've been thinking a lot about them. And last week we talked about with Michael that she has basically three moms, you know, Giorgio, Amanda, and Gabrielle. I was thinking that Dodge and Soji basically have four dads because they have the dad in their memory who's not real, Mm -hmm. and then we have Data, and then Doctor Soon, and then also Bruce Maddox. Yeah, (laughs) they
0: they all dads. Yeah. (laughs) Would it be fair to say that Soon is almost more a grandfather?
1: Grandfather, yeah
0: i like her portrayal i mean do you guys
1: me too yeah i love her she's probably my favorite actress on picard patrick stewart and then (laughs) isa bronis is just really fantastic where did she come from
2: i follow her on instagram so i also saw that she i think was either like an understudy or she played peggy in hamilton i mean she's a really good singer i think she's done like professional singing and stuff so she's more of a musical theater background, I think, which is mm. such a departure for Picard, but it makes sense that she can do these big acting, big screen roles. In wonder- the Iza-
1: and Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I wonder if that was a common point of relationship for her and Stuart mm. early on to have that theater. Thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. Wow, those were some really on point random
1: Star Trek thoughts this week. Yes.
0: Yes, were.
2: We're
1: on point facts. Ed, who's your favorite character in Star Trek?
0: You know, that's a big, big, big question. And it has changed a lot over the years. Riker is someone... First of all, a lot of people say I look like him, which every (laughs) single time somebody says that, I'm like, you just gave me a compliment (laughs) of my life. He's kind of the father I always wish I had. Mm -hmm. And to a certain extent, and getting to watch him as a father, I feel even more that way now. Mm -hmm. I loved his swagger back when. I loved him shaven. I love him with Deanna. I love him without Deanna. I just love him to death, you know? So it's my heart. Yeah. yeah. Although I will say that with Deanna is my preference. I know some people have strong feelings about uh, insurrection. I don't hate the movie myself, but the fact that it opened with their marriage, that was a big moment for me.
1: Wait, was that Nemesis or Insurrection? I mean, did I say,
0: did I say Insurrection? I, I think
1: Nemesis. Yeah. yeah.
0: Party foul. Although, Garrick, because I just think he's acted to this poignancy that is just theatrical. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He makes me want to be bad, you know? I just, I just, <laughs> you know?
1: Well, let's just dive into Riker then. Yeah. Let's do okay. it. I, yeah. I felt like you were speaking poetry, talking yes. about him. <laughs>
0: First of all, just the surface level stuff. I love the gray in the beard. Yeah. Uh, it's like he's... Become kind of the everyman to a certain extent. I love the fact that he's got a belly now because he used to be Mr. Fit and toned guy who was sleeping with whoever yeah. he wanted to. You know, he's had that day, and now he's really relaxed on his little what looks like Alaskan mm-hmm. I love the fact that he hugs Picard. He ends up patting flour on his back for some. Yeah, really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see him standing at a sink, and he's like doing dishes you know like yeah. what? huh Huh? you know like <laughs> we've never seen this one before yeah but it's so authentic and so endearing to just see him there and that was the moment that i was waiting for you know it was all great before with uh you know young soji or whatever so
2: as a part of needs the many group we were all watching picard together before the lockdown and i remember ed every single week being like when's Jonathan Franks coming (laughs) where's Riker? (laughs) And so like to finally have him come here, all of us were just so excited that Ed could see his dad. (laughs) (laughs) It's just amazing. And I think that's how a lot of us feel with someone like Riker, who is such a legendary character and someone who is so consistent. Like Jonathan Franks is so consistent in Star Trek. Like you just see his name pop up writing or directing shows in practically every single series. And I think that that's something that's so special about him. And he does feel like a member of my own family. I completely agree, especially in this environment where you get to see him be quote unquote domesticated and to see how he's living that family life. It's really a sweet side of him that we don't get to see a lot, especially because he had such family issues in The Next Generation with his father and all of that. It's really nice to see him
1: in this environment. I love your observations, Ed, just like the first time that we see Riker, because it really sets. A lot about where he is in his journey. We learn in this episode that his son has died and they moved to this planet because they thought it could cure him. It's a beautiful place. It looks like Alaska, which I had never thought about, but you're totally right. And that's where Riker's from. It's interesting because I don't get the sense that he's given up on Starfleet, but he's definitely taking a step back. I mean, it seems like the whole family is still really healing, even though they're saying it's been a couple year. or I don't even know. Do you know how long it's been? Since? I don't
0: remember. I think they said, but I can't, I don't think. Yeah, I, I mean, it, you know?
1: Troy said it was
2: supposed to be his 18th birthday, but it sounded like he died fairly young. Okay. So he was, like, creating language when he was five, so I'd say maybe he was around 10 or so. I don't really know because mm. I mean, either way, it felt like it was a younger death because of the way that they kept his room preserved and, like, yeah, the way yeah. that he was sort of, like, Absolutely. a young mind and a young kid's room that would be my guess is that it didn't
0: look like a teenager's room yeah exactly
1: i guess i was just surprised i mean i guess i shouldn't be surprised but even though it's been a while, Troy is still tearing up, and yeah. it's really hard for her, of course. And it's really hard for Kestra and Riker. I really got the sense that Will was the one really holding them together. I mean, like you said, he's the every man. He's making pizza in the yeah. wood fire oven. Sure. He he, he yeah. kind of reminded me of my dad. Like when I'd be little, I'd be like, Dad, come here. You know, and Riker's like, What? Stop yelling. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like yeah, it's yeah. just his normal response. He's like, I'll yeah. oh, be here in a second, you know. <laughs>
0: in a, a lot of men's story of their life you know they often when they're young go off and you know have their like adventure and mm-hmm. like, you know and, blah, 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 blah. and then when you have a kid then it's like oh okay this is reality and it really shows that his bachelor thing is done mm-hmm. you know yeah and they did that to perfection you know I felt his, ease with domestication Mm -hmm. like he had done all of it he had all of his crazy time
1: yeah i agree i just feel like he's just satisfied like even though it's not what he expected for his life i mean they talk about their son i think thad is his name right thad Thad was raised on the starship i assume that's the titan right is that where because he was in lower decks he's on the titan so i'm assuming yeah Yeah. Spoilers for Lower Decks there. I just really get the sense that, yeah, he does not miss it. He's fine with yeah, the responsibility absolutely. he has. And I love that he's living in a log cabin too. Yeah, like totally. I feel like watching TNG, I would never have guessed that he would choose to be like just chilling in a log cabin. But after seeing it, I'm like, that, that is makes perfect. Sense. It's perfect mm-hmm. for yeah. him. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The days of going to Ryza are over. And yeah. <laughs> he's on the homestead with his kids. I think also the character of the man who we knew was going to be a captain, that character is the same character that is absolutely obvious that he would be a father and a good father. You know, he clearly is that father, much like yours, that that is really involved, imparting the right things. This is just saying as a dad. Anybody can have a kid. Being a dad is a very different thing. He's doing it. He's, he's doing a good job. And we see that through Kestra. When you're in love with your child, like I am with mine, every time you see them is glorious. And we, you know, when she comes to him or comes out of the woods every time, it's like, the girl of the woods! You know? <laughs> he clearly is in love with his little girl. And, and I know that feeling and I absolutely saw that and, and connected with that.
1: I love that. I love Kestra too, especially because we just get like, uh, we just get one episode with her and she's one of my favorite characters. She's so cool.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and she's so much like Riker and Troy. It's incredible to see just the different, like she does have a lot of empathy, but she's also kind of blunt. I mean, Troy is also very blunt in that way. Like she will just come up to you and be like, you're struggling, let's talk about it. And that's exactly what Kestra does with Soji. And I love the fact that we see Kestra and Soji get to bond. And I think that she gets to have a little bit of pseudo sibling time with Soji is really fun to watch because she's just like, yo, you look like you're, not doing well oh no stop crying you know like yeah, yeah. he just attacks a problem just like Riker just like Troy and she finds the location of the planet for them because she's just so ingenuitive and I'm like of course the daughter of Will Indiana would be this incredible girl who just
1: goes and gets what she wants I kind of thought that Riker would yell at her for texting under the table. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was thinking that too, a little bit.
1: When she was Googling, not really Googling, but basically like, what planet yeah. so is so from? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting the place that technology has in their home life, in that it's not right in front of you, but it's only an arm's reach away, mm-hmm. and he only had to say three words, and the entire defensive blah 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 was like right there, you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. seem as though they are living with technology technology like they otherwise would, but they know how to use it when they need it.
1: Yeah. I mean, so they're true. even showering like in the back With of water. the cabin.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's not a sonic shower. Not a
1: sonic shower. They're outside. I was like, okay, yeah. like, go off, <laughs> I guess.
0: Like Alaska, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they like it. Sure.
1: Yeah. I also
2: want to congratulate... Mariana Stritz is acting in this like she is obviously amazing as Troy always but I love to see this version of Troy similar to how we were talking about with Will and how he's changed she Has always had a very loving motherly aura about her. I Mm -hmm. mean, she like helped raise Alexander. She's like always just around helping out. But with her own daughter, like, I love to see the full attention she has on her when she's speaking and the love that radiates from her. And also love that she gets this moment to talk to Picard about it. And it's clear that. Picard does not come around often.
0: It seems it like of he, hits me off a lot.
2: Yeah, like you're supposed mm-hmm. to be friends. But granted, Picard has hid himself away from everyone for this whole time. So it's not just the Rikers. But I thought it was really great that she was able to have someone to talk to that's not her husband about this. You know, I think it's yeah. nice to have someone to tell your grief to who is not directly tied to it like her family is but she just understands emotions so deeply that it's just her power i'm just amazed by her and how pretty well she seems to be doing considering i can't imagine the pain of losing a child and that pause she does right before she opens the door is so telling and so beautiful
1: Mm -hmm. and such a subtle moment that really shakes me Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say in that scene where Picard is talking to Troy, she does say Kestra aches for him. And Picard says, and you must ache watching her ache for him. And that's a different kind of pain for you. So Picard is acknowledging no one's over this, you know, everyone's still struggling. And Troy says, I'm not as brave as I used to be, John Luke," And he says, then you're getting wiser, which (laughs) I love too. It's a great quote. We talked about Picard just doesn't seem to be keeping in contact with them. And they're so surprised to see him. I was noticing that throughout Picard kind of the first half of the series he's meeting up with Rafi and with all these old friends we like didn't know he had but like it's fine but they're all disappointed in him you know they're all like you never kept up with me after the ban you know after the attack on Mars you never reached out but the Rikers are the only ones so far that he's encountered that are not angry with him and they understand and so mm, I think uh, it's that's I think
0: a really good point.
1: I mean they're friends forever yeah. you know I'm sure if Picard if we saw him seeing Jordi in this season Season, he would also be like, oh, it's fine. I forgive you. But mm-hmm. where this episode is placed in the season is perfect because that's where we're kind of missing all the old people from TNG and then right when Soji realizes she's an android and they finally come together we have a place to just be calm and hang out with Riker and Troy and Kestra but yeah I just thought it was interesting that they're not even angry at him they just like stay as long as you want but you know don't put Kestra in danger
0: that's a very very good observation and I think it goes to the depth of the relationship that we we know and we have witnessed them develop versus some of these other friendships who are, eh, I mean, yeah. like, you know, I mean, they yeah, they were good friends and whatnot, but they aren't family or at least not the same way. I think that to the thesis of this podcast and, you know, where do we see real family or how his family come up in Star Trek, I think that that really... Is the difference, you know, is that Riker and Troy will always be there for him in the way that a family would be. Whereas, you know, other superficial friends, you know, they have their little pissant moment. But when we are really family with someone, it doesn't really matter how long it's been since we've seen them, you know, that bond is bedrock always. Yeah, spoilers for anybody that is wasting their life and not watching Picard. <laughs> and then who shows up to, you know, save the day at the very end? You know, I mean, there's Riker.
1: Yeah, of Who's course. Cool. Right uh, when you need him. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Like, I'll jump back into Starfleet for a day if that's what you need me to do, because I will do anything that you need me to do, because that is family. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Definitely.
2: And I think also family is way easier to forgive too. And I think that's also why they're less pissed at Picard for staying away so long because they know that he also is going through his own kind of grieving process after he resigned from Starfleet because Starfleet was his life and he was never comfortable remaining on the vineyard just watching the grapes grow. They know.
0: <laughs> they know the nuance and the subtlety of his disposition better than anyone. You know, absolutely they witnessed all of the different dimensions and contours of his personality for seven years
1: yeah they're true family and even if they don't see each other or don't talk that often like it's always right back to where they were
0: yeah absolutely
1: i just thought it was sweet how when soji is talking to troy and kestra and eating the tomato is a cute moment but troy knows that she's in distress and knows that she's going through something and when picard comes up after the conversation and he's a little insensitive saying like oh it's all a plot to get you haha troy is instantly like you need to stop because she's really freaking out and you can't joke about that like you had it coming
2: yeah exactly you had
1: it coming yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. i just appreciate troy that she's like looking out for soji even though they just met I mean, of course, she's a beta always, I just thought it was a cool Troy moment that she was able to kind of encapsulate everything that Soji was feeling and just spit it back out and be like, hey, just leave her alone. Let her go through this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. She knows how to be around and manage a teenager. Yes. And and that, as the father of a 13-year-old girl, is, uh, and I'm sure you both have some understanding of this. Some
1: memories, (laughs) yeah.
0: This is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) And she has such a grace and a calm that she can experience any emotions with that she's the perfect mother of a teenager yeah that can be a dicey relationship you know so but she knows how to do it with grace and that is just so special
1: I'm so, so glad you brought true. that up because I was also thinking about when uh, Riker is talking to Picard because he's saying, "John Luke, like you're going to be hanging out with this girl," you know. He he says, "Now you're dealing with a teenager, more or less. I'm not sure you're up to the experience." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Picard's like, "Yeah, maybe not."
0: <laughs> yeah, well, because you know, Picard Day was was a hard day. Yeah. It was, you know, his
1: hardest day on the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. it really was,
0: but. I love the fact that he has grown so much to the point where he welcomes this idea of helping this teenage girl. Because when it was Picard Day and he was really uncomfortable, we could feel his tension and discomfort with being around children. And now he's wiser, like you said a minute ago. And he can do that, you know. And that took... All of that 20 years, you know, like that took that whole time of growth for him to be able to get there.
2: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I'm so proud of his growth and with Elnor even like he is, you know, he's starting to adopt some kids along the way. And I I think that's really sweet. And I think that it's really nice that he does have someone like Riker and Troy to guide him a bit. And I'm glad that he went to Nepenthe. Like that was his first thought is, oh, well, Will and Deanna will be there for me always. So I'll just pop in on them and they can give us
1: safe refuge while I figure this out. Yep. I'm just hoping that in season two, we have more Riker. Yeah. I loved getting to know them. I mean, seriously, Kestra really left an impact on me. I think about her yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, I just hope that they come back in season two and maybe we have like a, another reunion like this. Yeah. 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 I can't
0: imagine them not being
1: in it. Yeah. Right. Seriously. Jonathan I mean- Franks basically lives <laughs> at Paramount. Yeah. She's waiting for his next thing.
0: <laughs> the only tweets that I get that I care about are my Frank's tweets. Though I would love to see, you know, because we're starting, especially this whole 31st century thing, mm-hmm. you know, we're starting to get some real growth out of who all these old casts were and <laughs> see a whole new horizon of Star Trek. I'd be very interested to see Kester be a part of that.
2: You know? Yeah. Uh, say any day.
1: Any day. Yeah.
2: One other uh, thing I wanted to talk about with the Riker family is the fact that I love how they're honoring their son, Thad, through his languages. I think that that is something that's really cool and something that sort of keeps him alive in their mind. And Troy said she never learned like one of the languages very well. I think it was Naveen. Yeah But she knew some of the other languages fairly well. And so it's cute to see how they all interact around this sort of empty space that he left and how they fill it through memories of him. They make sure they talk about him. They make sure that he still exists in their hearts and stuff. And I think that's really yeah. important when facing a loss like that. And I love that Soji is just brought into that too. And she learns the entirety of the language in two minutes (laughs) yeah yeah
0: it was so cool just like yeah you're you're part of this now
2: yeah and now that's in soji forever which means that thad is like living on in her too and i just
1: think it's so so special I was also thinking about, you know, as we talked about earlier, Thad was born on a starship and that's how he was raised until he got sick. And so I kind of imagine him as a little Naomi Wildman, you know, just like gallivanting around the ship, going to school with Alexander, even though, you know, obviously different kids. But there is something special about that, too. And he must have been, you know, mature being around all the Starfleet officers and everything. And so it's sweet, like you were saying, Rihanna, that they are able to keep him alive in their memories and they have their room yeah. ready. Yeah.
2: Well, and particularly because he had a disease that could have been cured with a positronic net. And because the synth ban was still enacted, they couldn't save him. So it makes it even more tragic, but also sort of fitting that Soji is like passing on his memory, you know, that the synths could have saved him, but she's still sort of saving that memory
1: of him. Yeah. I think we should move on to a character who has a much worse relationship with her family. Just take a total 180 (laughs) (laughs) and talk about Rafi a little bit. Yeah, Rafi Musiker. Yeah, she's got some baggage. Yeah, she really does. I mean, even Picard says that because Riker asks, oh, like, how is your new crew? And I think Picard says something like they've got a lot more baggage than all you seem to have. And it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Cool yeah. That's kind of true. Yeah. But I was just going to ask you both. Do you like Rafi? I do. You do?
1: Yeah, I do like her. I didn't like her though in, until I rewatched it. So right, me too. I, yeah, I just did the rewatch, obviously for this podcast, and I really, really like her now. Round one, I did not like how she was calling him JL uh, because I, we God, didn't I, so much. Yeah,
0: because and
1: uh. just because we didn't see that, and so now I'm hoping like, okay, where's our series long flashback about how they became friends? Like, yes. I want to see it. You know,
0: we kind of deserve that. You know, yeah. we, we deserve some real color to be added to that whole thing because we are meant to believe that there is this depth to the relationship it's not Riker and Deanna but there's still some history there and you know with Guinan the mystery of what their relationship was was great but mm-hmm. we don't ever see Guinan calling it JL
1: yeah <laughs> so there's a, there's a line yeah. there's
0: a line And Rafi has crossed the line, so I want (laughs) to see why we can actually hear her call in jail. We need flashbacks or short treks or something. Well, this is the
2: thing. Yeah, because the reason I like Rafi so much is only because I read The Last Best Hope by Laura Formack. Because Mm -hmm. then it gives so much context as to her background. And actually, we get to see her family in this book before everything falls apart. So we're seeing her go home to her husband and he's like, wow, you're working a lot. And it starts to deteriorate more and more because she's working so much trying to help save as many Romulans as they can before the star goes supernova. But it's a huge undertaking and has to take her away from her family for months on end. And her son, Gabe is pretty young then in the book, because obviously this is way back before Romulus went supernova. And I really liked those scenes in the book because it did create a lot of context for how it started to fall apart to where we see it in the show in the episode Stardust City Rag. I like Rafi because I get more context from the book, but like that shouldn't be the catalyst of liking a character is from some random book you have to read that's like a companion to the series, you know? Like, granted, I think I liked her a lot more than any of the needs of the many <laughs> liked her in our yeah, group.
0: <laughs>
2: I was like a big fan of hers because I love to see, first of all, women who are flawed women who are angry women who are allowed to be not perfect not conventionally on top of their shit all the time you know i just i think i really appreciated that about her also seeing michelle heard which is funny because our mom is named michelle heard
0: yeah
2: (laughs) So always cracks me up but it was uh, cool awesome. too to yeah. hear her talk on the ready room with Will Wheaton after her first appearance yeah. her first episode and she talked about how like women especially women of color aren't supposed to like wear their hair a certain way but she gets to like have frizzy hair that's like perfect for her character and for just how she feels naturally and so I think I liked a lot of what they were trying to do with Rafi's character but she's definitely not supposed to be super likable I think I think you're supposed to grow on her because you're starting to to learn that, oh, she's got a lot of things she has to work through. And this is only season one, which really makes me hopeful of like, she's gonna grow so much. And she already has grown, I think, even from the beginning of the season to the end.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Regardless of everything, we're stuck with her. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you know, we're gonna have to learn to like her. And that's not the first time that I've been in that exact situation in Star Trek. In fact, oh, yeah. it's not close so i can warm to her and i read that same book and really liked it mm-hmm. you're right it does give some of that context and color mm-hmm. to to who she is and whatnot i like your point i don't want to have to work so hard to get it uh and i don't want to bash on her too much but there were just a couple of times where the acting was just a little bit too on the nose for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh come see grandma raffi and i'll make you a chocolate cake.
1: Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, Well take care of all your needs or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Okay. I mean, and maybe that's just the person that she is. And that's the person that we will get to know more and more over time as to her role as a mother. And I guess this is the credit that I would give uh, to, uh, to her is that I think it's a very, very difficult role to play where you're portraying a mother that would leave their child mm. for any length of time ongoing, uh, you know, to the point where it would deteriorate the relationship there, because you're really having to work against the motherly instinct to do that, which I know from my mom anyway, is it's like as strong as the force of gravity. You know, what <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. so, so, having to portray a person that has to do that or is willing to do that, that's kind of a hard thing to do and a hard portrayal to make so i guess it's good and he was clearly pissed you know he had every reason to be super pissed you know
1: yeah i i feel like star trek and maybe just media today in general portrays a estranged parent and child relationship more from the child's point of view and maybe that's just the media i'm watching because i'm a young person but It's kind of refreshing and really interesting to see it from the point of view of Rafi because she is trying when she sees him she says I changed I'm clean I'm doing my best but we've seen the past couple episodes of Picard and we know that's not true we know that she's you know living on her own and like clearly struggling until Picard comes and gets her and even on the ship she's struggling the whole time even though she knows she's trying to go see her son and get back in touch with him but I don't think she's lying I mean she's not really lying to him she's just trying to do her best I think she's so desperate to reconnect with him that she'll say anything And she clearly is regretful of everything and how she pushed them away. I also just want to say I did not read that book. I'm behind. But it's also like a fresh perspective since I don't know the history. I think the dialogue is tight enough where I kind of get it. I think it's just like a couple lines of from what the sun says, like you were so obsessed with everything going on with the attack on Mars that you pushed me and dad away. And so I can kind of fill in the blanks in my imagination, even though I don't know the details of that. Yeah. I,
2: Real quick, he said, we already
1: yeah. recognized you.
2: I mean, that's really quite the statement.
0: Well, I was just going to say, uh, just to offer sort of a, a personal perspective on this, you know, I mentioned it when you introduced me, you know, I've been clean and sober for going on 13, almost 14 years, Amazing. and yeah. um, what they're portraying is what, you know, all addicts alcoholics or whatever aside from holodeck addiction which right. is i think only the only time we've ever really seen addiction mm-hmm. in star trek that's what you go through in 12 step recovery when you do your eighth and ninth step and you go out and you make amends to people a lot of times your sponsor says don't expect them to give you a big hug the things that you did that you're making amends for, they're not just going to hold you and say it's all okay. You know, don't expect that. And so there was an authenticity there that I appreciated, actually, you know, because I've gone back to make amends to people and people have been like, fuck you. I don't ever want to talk to you again. And in hindsight, yeah, absolutely. They were they were 100% right. So Gabe is right in the pocket as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, I think they do a good job of portraying both sides because he's so hostile the entire time. I think the only time he's Softens up is when his wife comes out and she's, you know, very pregnant. And then he's a little softer and he's like, Oh, this is my mom. She's just yeah. passing by. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. He's
0: yeah.
1: Right back to that hostility. Yeah. I think I just appreciate this renaissance we have of Star Trek with Discovery and Picard is much more emotionally realistic than what we have, yeah. you know, in TNG. <laughs> you know, Picard can go from Borg to human and with one episode of transition and he's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, true. and so it's a definitely uncomfortable for me to watch the scene with Rafi and that's what I love about Star Trek because it forces you to face a perspective that you have never thought about before at least I have never thought about and it's uncomfortable but it's so necessary I'm glad they're including it in there and I'm glad that she's trying to make amends you know and I I wonder if as we see her character continue, if she can kind of get back on her feet a little bit, if she maybe gives him some space and I hope she'll be able to return to her family and have that connection again. I wonder if it's just small things like sending birthday gifts to his daughter, you know, or something like that. And then you can slowly wean your way back into that if he is ready for that, but it does not seem like he wants her around right now at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes and maybe what we'll see be sort of the inroads for some mending of that relationship would be the grandchild you mm, know? yeah like, you know because apart from the feelings that i have about you or you have about me we still want the grandchild to have that relationship to their mm-hmm. grandparent exactly um, absolutely and appropriate i think you know yeah. I mean, it's fair your kids should know her you know as long as you know it's safe
2: Definitely. Something I found really interesting about Rafi's behavior after this is at the scene you were talking about where it seems a little forced. She's like, Oh, Aunt Rafi can help you get this cake. I think maybe it felt forced because she was trying so hard to put her mother energy onto someone and trying to make up in certain ways that like, you know, she's nowhere to put her guilt and her desire to connect. Because she also is then really trying to suss out why Rios is doing terribly talks to all his holograms, you know, it's yeah. a little bizarre how clearly I think her and Rios have been friends and like they have a past together and I think she would do a lot for him, but it does seem like she is starting to go the extra mile after she sort of stows away back on the ship. Yeah, yeah. And so I was thinking maybe that was a contributing factor is her trying to make up in these different ways.
1: I read that scene as, I don't think at that point she was drinking. Like she told her computer, like she locked herself out. Like Mm -hmm. I can't order any more alcohol. And so I thought maybe she was going to try to get Agnes drunk or something as an outlet. But I don't know. Cause she kind of like, whatever you need, you know, I got you. You know, she smokes snake leaf. I thought maybe they're going to go get high together, honestly, but no, (laughs) they just (laughs) eat cake. Yeah. (laughs) She's just a force of nature, Rafi is and i love how tech savvy she is i would just love to see her in that starfleet uniform you know i just would be so cool and i wonder if she'll go back or if we get those episodes of flashback
0: yeah i think we will in fact didn't we get just the briefest look at her in a uniform yeah yeah
2: yeah it was the scene where picard resigns and he meets her outside (laughs) and she's like
1: "What, what went down again, they're know. in San Francisco.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is where the magic happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. Yeah, I think that we deserve to see her in the uniform a little bit more because I just personally don't 100% buy it, especially when she's smoking Snake Leaf and drinking the whiskey or whatever. I need to be grounded in her as a Starfleet officer just a little bit more. So like I said, I mean, I think that we're stuck with her, and that's great. They'll flesh her out a lot more if I may be so bold as mm-hmm. to you know, going along with the theme of family. I'm curious how you guys view or think about Soji and I guess by proxy, Dodge and what family means to them, because in reviewing these episodes this morning, really struck me hard to think about what it would be like to wake up one day and you're only three months old or four months old or a year old or whatever. And all of your life was just, an implanted memory and that's a thing we've seen a lot in science fiction yeah right Mm -hmm. she's such a sympathetic character and she's so likable especially as we see her relationships with Riker's kid and just all of them what would it be like for you guys to wake up one morning and find out that your dad and your mom who shares the same name with Robbie's actress yeah to find out well first of all they don't exist and you don't even know them and they're just a memory from three months ago you know what I mean What a trip
2: seriously this is something that like you said this is weirdly common in science fiction and also kind of common in star trek not to the extent i think that soji slash dodge but i think for soji it kind of reminded me and why i'm so glad that seven of nine is a part of the show is because i feel like in a way they have similar paths where Mm -hmm. seven was assimilated as a child and so like all her life she knew the borg and so when she's learning about her parents finally it's kind of reverse you know She's learning that her parents do exist in this way, she never thought about them.
0: That's a good observation. Mm -hmm.
2: And I like to see them together. I would like to see more scenes where they can interact and kind of cathart together, you know, about Uh, having to completely alter your identity and understand uh, yourself in a new way.
0: Interesting. Interesting. That's a really good observation. Mm -hmm.
1: I was kind of thinking, especially when soji is realizing everything you know just like your question i kind of identify that with disassociation like everything she's feeling where she's just like i'm not real nothing matters what's going on i definitely struggle with anxiety and depression and i've had moments of disassociation and it's so alarming and disassociating i mean it's yeah it's really scary and so i think it would be very jarring to be on like a paradise planet with will Riker. like what (laughs) you know Like, okay, this must not be real and I'm dead, you know? It would be amazing if Dodge had lived and they could be together through Mm -hmm. this series and they could go through figuring out about their history together. And it's so tragic that sisters have to be ripped apart like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's good that Picard is telling her out of everyone, you know, she could have found out from that horrible Romulan. I can't remember his name. Yeah, he's so annoying. I would just be searching for anything to grasp for at all to ground me. And I think the circumstances worked out well for her being on the planet and getting to talk with Troy and everybody. Yeah.
0: And two, you know, like you had that great observation that they have forefathers.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: I guess I would push back against that to say, is it actually five? You know. Yeah. Because of course, then there's this all of a sudden. Picard as a father figure and like we are coming a little bit full circle here and you know all the way from Picard day to the point where he's actually a father figure and welcoming of that role.
1: Yeah.
0: That is so special and it's really you know I'm talking about the the inner light? Yeah. I always love watching that episode because I think he's a good dad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know?
0: I think he's a really good dad. He doesn't always think that he's a good child rearing kind of person, and this is so common to parenting, right? Is that like everybody's like, "I'm going to be bad at this." I'm going to be bad. There's no such thing as being bad at it. You just have to do it and hopefully not be a dick. (laughs) He really can do that, and we saw in the inner light that you know he was a loving, caring person as as a parent, and then it's like this homage in my emotions to the inner light when he is sort of becoming like this father figure to, to Soji because he's the only point of calm and what must be an otherwise just rip roaring motherfucking crazy storm yeah, yeah. going on for her. Right. You know? And so I love him as the father figure. And that's Same. what I think is so special about Nepenthe is that it's really not the portrayal of, just Riker as a dad it's also the portrayal of Picard as a dad mm-hmm. uh, we're kind of sneaking that in whether you're going to notice it or not
1: yes yes Ed yes wow. I, I am so glad that. you said that well and I think especially because what makes someone a parent is the choice to stay and the choice to commit yes. to them over and over again no matter what they do and that's what was. With, with, that. yeah, yeah, yeah and so with Soji like no matter what Picard's like I'm helping you I'm yeah. helping you. You can push me away, but I'm helping you. Too bad, you that's, know.
0: That's what a real dad does. And yeah. The blossom of their relationship together is just going to be hopefully the whole central one. It's definitely right there in the center of the orbit. I think that Soji's relationship to family is a special one. You know, in anthropology, I think they call it fictive kin, which is, you know, we all have people in mm-hmm. our lives who are a family, but we're not blood. Hers is more the role of having the fictive kin. Absolutely. Oh, so special.
2: We do talk a lot about themes of found family in Star Trek and yeah, something yeah. that I just always want to celebrate about even shows like Picard. I mean, yes, we are seeing this Motley crew who is struggling with so many individual things, but we also see them come together and help each other. And it's something that I'm excited to see more in season two and
1: beyond in Picard. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's just been so awesome to have you as our found family and to have the needs of the many. <laughs> <laughs> I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like I love Riker even more after hearing <laughs> your love for him. Yeah,
0: I'm Same. glad. Well, like I said, I can talk Trek all day long.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. And if you get a chance, if you're in the San Francisco area, or if you're just interested in talking about Star Trek and watching weekly episodes, check out The Needs of the Many. You guys are on Meetup?
0: We're on Meetup, yeah. And we've always kind of stayed on Meetup. You only have to hang out with us for about two minutes to realize how special the group is. Mm -hmm, And I promise you, if you spend... Just two minutes with us, you're going to be addicted. You're going to love us, you know? So,
2: yeah. And I'm going to be dropping that link in the Patreon. So go check it out. Take a look at our upcoming events. We have a lot of really fun moments where we will watch a certain episode and then just discuss it, kind of like what we're doing here on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So you can come and participate and be a part of that. And of course, when new shows are coming out or new seasons of shows, we all come together and watch them together Thursday nights or whenever they air. (laughs)
0: And if you haven't listened to Johnny talk in his British accent about Star Trek, you're just letting the best in life pass you by.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) true. (laughs) So do it for Johnny. Check out the link. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. I
0: am so happy to be here. And you guys are awesome. And I hope that everybody that's listening is uh, very safe these days. Yes. Agreed.
1: It was so lovely to have Ed on the podcast. Thank you all for welcoming him into the Dura Sisters family. <laughs> yeah, we were very happy to have him. And we
2: are excited to have different guests in the future. So if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, please email us at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. And we will let you know our upcoming episodes and where you would like to join.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So
2: now we are going to be moving on. At the end of Ed's time here on the podcast, we talked a bit about Soji and Dodge, and Ed asked the really great question of how do you reconcile being only 37 weeks old, (laughs) understanding that your life is not what you expected it to be, and we want to jump in now to how Soji and Dodge understand familial relationships within Picard.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great branching off point just to remind ourselves that poor Soji lost everything. And in the episode Broken Pieces, there's a scene where Soji and Picard are having dinner together on the Serena And Picard is basically saying my favorite quote from Dumbledore, which we've also mentioned on the pod before, but just because it's happening in your head does not mean it's not real. And I think that's kind of what Soji needs to start believing in order for her to kind of find her humanity again, or find her sense of self is just because she has these programmed memories in her databanks and this sense of self, who she believed she was, I don't think it's the time for her to throw that all away. And Picard is also kind of suggesting embrace this new truth where Data is your father and you were created by Bruce Maddox. But I feel like there's a mix that she could use to go forward. And we unfortunately don't really get to see much of her mental transition back into normalcy because then, you know, the finale comes and <laughs> everything is just fueled by the plot line. (laughs) But I'm really eager to explore more about Soji's relationship with herself, even because it's constantly changing.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I have to say, I think my favorite episode of this season is called The Impossible Box. And it's Soji's real understanding, finally, of her past and what's fabricated and what's real. And This is done through the manipulation of Narek, the Romulan who is (laughs) aboard the Borg cube with her. This is done through a series of her remembering her dream and trying to decipher it. And so they go through a Romulan ritual to help her understand her dream, which involves her father working in a lab and she can never see past the orchids, So she never knows what he's working on. And it turns out he's working on her. She says that she sees herself in pieces on the table. And I find that metaphor to be really interesting to see herself in pieces because I think this is the first time she is seeing, of course, herself in this planted, memory, but also seeing herself in a new way and a different piece of herself. And it's a terrifying scene. It's really hard to, even for me to watch, you know, because her family is fabricated essentially. She only talks to her mom for 70 seconds each call every night, and then she's put to sleep. And I wonder if it's built into her subroutines or something where she doesn't really remember falling asleep every single night talking to her mom. Because I think if she did, it would be far more significant, and she probably would have figured it out sooner.
1: So we don't know for sure how long they've been actively going in the world. There's all this talk about 37 months, 37 months. That's how long she's been around but I'm wondering how long they've been in society, Soji and Dodge, because a lot of these details, the fact that she has all of her childhood things with her on the Borg Cube, a lot of this is just questionable. And I feel like if they'd have any input from people who really love them, who were living with them or staying with them or a nice person who was actually sleeping with them, <laughs> you would think that they would point this out and be like, this is weird. This is not normal. And so I'm kind of wondering if Bruce Maddox, Programmed two different states, you know, like we have a pre conscious state where they think they're human and then a post state where they receive all their memories back and they're able to function as true androids now. I'm just not sure. And I'm also wondering because in the dream sequence with Soji, like you were just discussing, she's afraid to look at the table and she's afraid to defy her dad. And so at first, I thought that this was just weird. Like I know we get afraid in dreams and sometimes things seem eerie. But even when she's working through it, she's heart rate elevated. She wants to wake up and snap out of it. And so now that I'm thinking deeper about it, I'm wondering if this is Bruce Maddox's way of saying, if you really want the truth, you have to push through the fear and you have to fight it. You have to work to figure out the truth.
2: I think that's a really interesting point, but a little disconcerting because he also then made her fear her father in this way. And so that makes me a little concerned that he didn't want her to know the truth. I mean, yeah, maybe he was just like, you got to work through it, but I don't think he would program fear in that case. I think he would program curiosity, you know? But I think he's trying to cover his footsteps because after the synth ban, he had to flee because he was going to keep making synthetic life (laughs) even after the ban because he was determined to. And he literally had to abandon everything about starfleet and his life and agnes and everything in order to pursue the creation of soji and dodge and so i think this was probably a way to cover his tracks and so that if they didn't figure out they were synths then they'd be safe but that didn't work that way obviously because they they didn't know they were synths, and dodge still got killed and soji nearly did
1: I feel like it's also a safety net. It reveals the location of where she's from. And so I feel like it's a message to her saying, if you want to know more about your father, keep pursuing the dream. That was my initial thought. So then I'm wondering why is she afraid of finding out the truth?
2: I guess we have to take into account too, that she has been evolving ever since Maddox made her. She's existing in life now, and she's existing with other humans. I mean, she has emotions clearly, like they definitely had a really top of the line emotion chip for her. (laughs) Probably it was just developed from a fear of the unknown and a fear of, I'm maybe not gonna like what I see because deep down I know what it is. Her subconscious knows that she is an Android, but I think maybe she was so scared of that truth because I would be terrified of that truth, you know? And so I think I would also not wanna look, but wanna look (laughs) at the same time. Kind of like you said, I think you do have to dig for that truth.
1: Yeah, I'm also thinking more about now, so we have this memory father who's not real, and we have this mother who's not real. She's just recording. Do you think she is a pre-recorded message, or do you think there's like some random woman on call whenever Soji or Dodge calls her?
2: I think that it's a hologram designed
1: uniquely for the
2: purposes of responding To her and keeping her off the trail because Mm. she lied about Dodge being alive. Soji was worried because when she goes to see some of the ex-borg who have been reclaimed, there's a Romulan there who says, are you the one who lives or the one who dies? Right, right. And then Soji is terrified that Dodge is dead, Mm -hmm. which she is, and her hologram or whoever mom (laughs) guess. Hologram is a great
1: guess, yeah. Because
2: then she just said, no, she's fine. She's actually thinking about getting a dog. You know, all this stuff that would seem very commonplace. And she has a very good mom program. I'll say we said a little bit of this in our Picard pilot, but she does seem like a very realistic mom. So whoever wrote that program also made the intention to make her feel as human as possible.
1: So I guess what I'm just getting to is the point of creating Soji and Dodge is to infiltrate the Romulans and Starfleet and figure out what's going on on Earth. Bruce Maddox, obviously, he wanted to make them because he had the gift and he knew how to do it. I mean, I'm setting that aside for now and just trying to figure out his other maybe more seedy motivations. Do you think that... This was his get out of jail free card. Like If he could use them to infiltrate these huge structures like Starfleet and the Tal Shiar and the Romulan Empire, would then he finally be free and able to leave the planet? Why did he even leave in the first place?
2: At least from the personality we got in that book, he did progress for progress sake a lot. Like he wanted to be the person to create it. And so nothing was going to stop him, not the attack on Mars, not the fact that he was kind of neglecting his work with creating synths for Mars. Of course, now we know it's the Romulans who instigated all of that. But at the time, Starfleet was blaming Bruce because they thought it was a severe coded error in his synths that he was making because he had his eye off the ball and he was still focusing on this data-like synthetic life.
1: I think his ultimate goal is to get rid of the synth ban. I don't think his goal is to like take over society with the synths or anything nothing that crazy. I mean, we know him from The Next Generation. Bruce Maddox is in the famous episode with Data. Mm -hmm, um, Measure of a Man. Measure of a Man, yeah, where he tries to prove that Data is not an individual because he wants to study him. And he basically wants to recreate Data and continue his research. And so this is what has driven Bruce for his whole life, it seems like. And so I feel like he would go to any lengths to end the ban and- I guess their primary function then, once placed on the board cube, once placed at the Institute, is to not be discovered and collect data. So I guess it would make sense that they have to sleep at night and maybe they do some system updates. So that's why they have to go to bed in 70 seconds. I don't know. It just seems like that's a careless mistake, you know, that if anyone else had been watching, it would be clearly obvious that they were an android. So I guess I'm just wondering, is he trying to protect them really by not having them discover that they're androids or is he trying to bring them home or both?
2: You know how there's a Borg homing signal that's only activated once you're severed from the collective? I'm kind of curious if maybe they have a similar homing signal that is unlocked then once they discover the truth. Because then it's like, you have to go back to factory settings. Essentially, you have to go back to your kind so you don't get discovered.
1: And now that you say that, Data does have that device. I mean, we saw he was (laughs) literally, yeah, he took over the Enterprise to get home. I forgot. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, so, so maybe
1: that was active. Well, then that brings up the question, was it activated by somebody
2: or did it just happen because she figured it out? Like I maybe. guess the timing would have been crazy, but I think why was she having those dreams? Did she say they were only recently? Yeah. She yeah. So yeah. Like, maybe that was the signal that activated it was the dreams.
1: Yes, but I'm wondering maybe Dodge's death is what activated the dreams. in soji because if one goes down then it's like okay there's a problem come home
2: yeah, I really like that idea because that would also make sense timing wise.
1: I have no idea. It also could be just after a certain amount of time, like after 37 months, then she starts having the dreams. I have no idea. But I guess I'm just trying to dig into these reasons because creating a life is not a simple thing. I mean, even real children, obviously, like it's not simple. It's like the most complicated and harrowing journey you can have. And same thing with Bruce. I mean, creating a life like you're suddenly responsible for that thing. Thing forever. And since he has the ability to control literally every aspect of these twins, I'm just curious, you know, I'm trying to figure out why is he like this?
2: <laughs> I mean, Bruce is an enigma and a yeah. very annoying one in my opinion, but I also got to respect his science and his process. And I think very much like Data, he had this desire to create an offspring It could be very likely that this was his way of having children. I mean, he was always focused on them, always.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, he has a thing with Agnes, but it's clearly passing, you know. And um, their
2: thing is only rooted in the fact that she was in his class on synthetics. Like, that's literally the only reason they're together, so. Yeah, yeah. It's always been Soji and Dodge for him, I think. And I yeah. guess that's nice, but also clearly not a good father because he didn't stay with them. He hasn't been like helping them, but I guess it would put him in too much danger. So I mean, I get it, you know, to have connection with them, but also he literally just abandons them to try to figure out their lives and to infiltrate. And that's just not good parenting. No, <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, it's definitely not. I mean, it's very Noonian sing of him because Noonian does this kind of crazy shit too, where he gives Data a dream. Data does get upgrades throughout the show, or he meets Noonian, or he gets handed some piece of himself by Lore to then <laughs> like stick in his neck or whatever. You know, um, yeah, that's how I always evolve as a human too. So, but when he's having these dreams, he does dream about his father, and Noonian is like an artist painting him or something, and so they really talk about dreams a lot with data. And I mean, Picard, the whole show starts off with Picard having a dream about data. And the whole show is fueled by this Romulan nightmare that everyone is driven by. So I guess it's just strange that there's a lot of dreaming in this. And the fact that it's not limited to humans is pretty cool. Really cool.
2: And I love that connection. I hadn't even thought of that. A line that really bothered me because poor Soji is going through it, like we said, is the fact that when Picard tells her that Dodge is dead, she says, none of this is real. And she's like, it doesn't matter. I mean, clearly she's upset by it and trying to put up a front, you know, to be like, this is the only way I can process her death right now is to just act like it's not real. Because that's way too much to deal with after being betrayed by my lover and all of this stuff. So she has not been able to face Dodge's death at all yet and it seems like from her memories which we don't know if they spent time together before they were separated or if those are also planted memories but either way she's still important to her and yes she does meet other quote-unquote siblings on the planet and I think she tries to find kinship with them but it's different from I think something that you thought you knew your whole life it would be really hard just to turn around and say oh I'm starting to get these memories back this is my life now I think that's why it was so easy for Picard to back her from the ledge when she was going to be the destroyer he was like that's not who you have to be i can still provide you with that family-ness that you need you don't have to do it just for this family who you barely
1: have spent two days with you know i think it's not helped by the fact that when she comes home everyone has these bad intentions she thought she was a human among humans and then this past like week or so or however long she's now an android among androids and that's got to be Such an amazing feeling. And of course, she trusts all of them implicitly because they're like her. And she's easily turned against the humans, I feel like. She's not going to trust them as much because everyone around her, her quote unquote family understands better than they ever could in her mind. And so it's very bad timing in terms of her coming to accept who she is because she's given all of these crazy signals (laughs) and it would just be very, very hard to go through this. And I think it's great that Picard is her shining light. Even if she doesn't trust him, she comes to understand that he does understand.
2: (laughs) Took the words literally right out of my mouth. I was about to say that Picard understands as best as he can being a non-android because he was a part of the Borg. And I think, you know, even someone like Seven would also understand, but I think Picard understands it a different way because he was ripped into the Borg, whereas Seven was ripped into humanity. So like they both have different paths of how they got severed from the collective and so did Soji. She got severed from her humanness and then joined the robot-ness, you know? (laughs) so It's a kind of a loose metaphor, but I think it does
1: help them to understand each other better. I really hope that someday Soji can go back and look at the logs of, of the Trip Tucker clone because he also went through the same thing. You know, he had all these memories of a woman he never met being his mother, and yet he also remembers flocks nursing him every night. I'm just saying, Soji oh. and T- Clone Trip have a lot to discuss. <laughs> and what's great about that is that, like, Soji knows
2: Riker, so Riker oh. can take her to a holodeck and watch oh. it together. Oh. I'm just saying it's great it's really easy we can make this happen I'm sorry, I have to go throw up. No, I'll, I'll be back. That, that could be the ending of of Picard. Actually, I think it would be really good. <laughs> wow, this really took a turn. I did uh-huh. not think we would get here. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. it's fine. This is still a Picard. Uh,
1: that's a that's a forbidden <laughs> subject. We don't talk about the Enterprise finale.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like the what's the taboo? Isn't there like Beth? Thing?
1: Oh, in a stage production, you don't oh. say Macbeth.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's oh my god. That's exactly how it is here. Oh, okay, yeah. It- (laughs) (laughs) another scene i really liked was in broken pieces which ashlyn talked about a little bit soji is figuring out where her planet is and they're heading there and she puts up this barrier so that rios can't get in and she says is someone trying to wipe out your family do you even have a family which is harsh and then (laughs) rio says i do not He just outwardly admits, he's like, I do not have a family. First of all, Soji needs some tact. I mean, excuse her.
1: She's going through a lot. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I know. That's true. But like, girl, read the I mean,
1: she doesn't even have family.
2: (laughs) That's so true. I think, honestly, this also reminds me of another episode with Data. We talked about how he so immediately accepts Laura as his brother. Uh. I think that Soji is doing the same thing with the family. But yeah, I just thought that... Also Rios like outwardly admitting that he has no family is really depressing because we only get like a tiny mention of his family. He first talks about his old captain who he saw a picture of in also the episode broken pieces and he said that he often while he was first officer i believe to mm-hmm. captain, yeah first officer that he had to restrain himself from calling him dad so clearly like one of those massive father figures in his life and he died tragically it was awful and so rios is dealing with this trauma and then he is adamant on not having picard become the same figure to him he's like i'm not taking another stubborn captain into my heart you know but he does at the end he even has this great discussion with seven where he says i said i would never do it again and then i fucking did it again (laughs) (laughs) you know and like that is so sad because at this point we think picard's dead everyone's doing their different versions of mourning but rios does have this pattern To him, it feels like a pattern of letting people in and then having them die. And I mean, this is, of course, very difficult. The only time I hear about his biological mother is when Rios sings her lullaby to have the shields come down. And he said she didn't like people playing with her things either. So I don't know if that means she was maybe on a starship as well or how their relationship was. But anyway, I just find him a really interesting character with very sad backstory.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking about his holograms, how he made them all versions of himself, but with hilarious accents, just so Santiago Cabrera can show off his full range of acting power. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just interesting because I mean, the original EMH on Voyager was based off of Dr. Zimmerman, its creator. So it's just Weird that Rios created all of his holograms after himself. Maybe not weird, but it would seem to me like maybe you wanted other people to keep you company rather than versions of yourself. Like, is this a form of torture? You, you know? Uh, I mean, he is an existentialist, so this makes a lot of sense to me. Ah, okay. So
2: tell me why. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I'm like a full fledged existentialist, but like, I've read quite a few works. Um, Not the one he was reading, but it looked really interesting. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I think because I think he wants to maybe understand himself better, but also he doesn't want to be with anyone else because he's trying to like isolate himself, I think. I think Mm -hmm. especially after his captain died, he just built up a wall of many of himself to keep everyone else out. I mean, half the time the holograms are telling the crew, sorry, you can't go in there. And why would you make holograms of other people if you're trying to get away from other people, you know?
1: Oh, wow. Okay, now I understand. (laughs) <laughs> that's my that's my theory. Oh geez, that plus, was perfect. Plus the
2: acting is so fun. For that it, those scenes are really fun and a good levity, you know, in the show which is fairly dark.
1: <laughs> you know, the more I'm thinking about our cast as a whole, I realize that Every single member of the crew is a loner. They're someone who, by choice, have isolated themselves from society for one reason or another. And I just think it's interesting. I really understand why Patrick Stewart took it. Because... I mean, I mentioned this in the pilot episode of our podcast, he felt like the character of Picard was retired, literally, like he said, there's nothing more I could do with him. I've explored every asset of his life. But Picard is not at all what we get from the next generation. And that's honestly why I didn't like it in my first run through. I love Patrick Stewart. So I'll watch anything he's in. And so by the end of the season, I was like, okay, I can stick with this. But this rewatch has really moved me because we are seeing Picard in all the ways that that he thinks are weaknesses. He's alone, he's wasting his life on the farm, he's not doing anything, he's isolated. Patrick Stewart is agreeing to explore this side of Picard that the character himself hates. And so what an acting challenge that is to put Picard in the craziest scenarios where he can't be Admiral Picard or Captain Picard who's yelling at the Cardassian that there are four lights. You know, there's none of those moments in this series. It's Picard struggling with himself and with the horrible situation that the Federation has put them in. And it's hard to deal with that. And so I love seeing then all of these other characters who are loners too they come together and they make their own family and it's a weird group of people you know sometimes i don't like a lot of them but they all have really interesting moments together and i totally understand why patrick stewart was like i'm so on board for this like this is nothing like i did in the 80s
2: (laughs) ashlyn i completely agree and it reminds me of something you said at the beginning of our podcast where new trek has been exploring characters emotional depth more and letting things linger and last in these shows. And I think that that's what is the strength of the show is the fact that we do get to see characters in different lights and in places that are ugly and (laughs) that are awkward and not quite right, as jumbled as they are together, individually, their lives (laughs) are also very messy. And it's kind of refreshing to see because I think a lot of these characters are relatable. Not every character's a showstopper. You love them right away, like most of Star Trek, which is... A strength that I really like of Star Trek is that all characters are likable in a certain way, but I like the fact that here, they're not, and you kind of just have to deal with it, and maybe I'm just being harsh on people like Agnes Roddy, who I'm not a
1: fan of at all, (laughs) but... I mean, even Ed was just saying an hour ago that he's still growing on Rafi, and I mean, I think about when I first saw Quark in DS9, I was so annoyed with him, but now... Oh my god, Quark is maybe my favorite character. (laughs) I love him, (laughs) right? Just to wrap up Rios, I just have to just acknowledge how awful that situation was. that Starfleet put him in, ordering his captain to kill these androids. What a despicable thing to do. First of all, Starfleet, a black order. So that's probably coming from section 31. You know, I just really feel for Rios. And of course it would destroy him. I mean, he was removed from Starfleet six months after this. So it just tells you that he just lost everything in those moments. And so it's more satisfying that all of these characters have been suffering because of the synth ban. And you see that because we lost this aspect of our society, we are no longer as happy as we were. So maybe it's time to fix some shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Stamps for all that.
1: Yeah. I really want to. Well, no, actually, I do not want to at all talk about these Romulan siblings, but I feel like we have to a little bit. Just yeah. like two sentences. Rihanna, tell me two sentences about these annoying siblings.
2: My blind react <laughs> to this is it's very incest-like between Narik and his sister. I can't remember her name and don't really care enough <laughs> about her. They have a very power <laughs> control dynamic. I how think- you
1: say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know even how to describe it because their dynamic is really messy. Kinky is how I would. Yeah. I don't know. She's kind of dominant in yeah. their relationship, I think also sexually is the vibe I get. I too get an incest vibe, which, you know, I mean – all right
2: okay game of thrones there it is yeah yeah it's not good (laughs) what's going on there no it's messy and you can tell
1: that narek is on board with the tal shiar in general but he does not like taking orders from his sister because i think he kind of falls in love with soji in an act of rebellion against her you know i mean obviously you can't control love but i think he just caught feelings yeah Yeah, but dive deeper because he's like i'm going all in he's like trying to get a promotion. I don't know. He's the worst. (laughs) Yeah. He's a lot. What's interesting though, and something I had forgotten was that their aunt was in the Tal Shiar and she was a really high ranking general in the Tal Shiar. She is someone who we first see having an interview with Soji and she's an ex-B, an ex-Borg. She's been reclaimed And she's somewhat able to talk. You see her playing with tarot cards, or Romulan version of tarot cards. It was a shock to me to know that that was their aunt. And so this whole plot became clear. This was not like a meticulously planned thing from the Romulans' perspective. It seems like the sister, which I should know her name, but again, eh, once she figured out that her aunt had destroyed that cube you know she latched onto it and this is the project that she decided to do and lay this trap for Soji and everything so yeah just interesting that it was based all about her aunt
2: yeah I think that they all do have strong bonds of family here and sometimes a little too strong and yeah (laughs) controlling you know I mean I think Romulans do put a lot of reliance on family like Vulcan's
1: Oh, yeah, Romulans are very family oriented. I mean, Nero tore through time and space to revenge his wife and unborn daughter, so feel yeah. that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Just sit with that for a minute.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about someone who would also tear through time and space to help her born child. That hurt me because I, I am
2: so sad, especially because now we have talked through our Voyager family series and Seven of Nine's relationship with Ichib, the Borg child she rescues, and she helps him regain his humanity. So it's just horrible to see <laughs> what happens to dear little Ichib, who is the sweetest child, and he got tortured. Seven of Nine found him just after he was tortured. I'm not going to get into the gruesome details. And it's awful because she holds him in her arms and he's like, please. And then she kills him because she knows it'll bring him out of his misery because he's in agony. And it's just so awful to see that she was, first of all, was too late to save him and that she had to kill him in the process oh my God, like Seven has already been through so much. Can we please give this woman a break? I was most
1: scared <laughs> of doing this podcast because I knew we'd have to talk about Egypt. It stresses me out because I love him so much and we get no time with him at all. We get 30 seconds before he's just killed. And I loved seeing him on Voyager. He was someone who really added something beautiful to the show and something beautiful to Seven. And so everything she's going through, I understand. My question for you, Rihanna, is do you think she should have killed her ex-lover, Bajazel? Knowing what we know about their relationship and with seven's relationship with each of
2: well she does regret it we see it later on at the mm-hmm. end of the season very last episode she's talking with rios and they're having that conversation we were just talking about where he said i shouldn't have let anyone into my heart and she's like i shouldn't have taken my revenge like that because it feels like it just lives with her now you know and that guilt is really bothering her so i definitely don't think it was worth it or i don't think i would do it (laughs) you know i don't also think i have the guts to do it but i don't think seven should have done it either because it just eats at her you can tell
1: yeah i agree with you i'm just curious because it's just so uh so horrible
2: (laughs) i agree with that
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sucks. God. Yeah, so rest in
2: peace, Ichib. Seven can adopt another child. Elnor. <laughs>
0: That's a
2: accident. good point. This is a good point. This is a good setup,
1: perhaps.
2: It's really sweet how he's really scared and thought he was gonna die. And then Seven shows up and he just hugs her and she's like, it's okay. Like she's already activating mob mode. She's like, this is my eighth adopted child. <laughs>
1: I wonder if we'll see any of the other board kids that she adopted, like the, the girl who is amazing. Mazzotti. Yeah, I would love to see Mazzotti as an adult. Are you kidding? I hope we get some more board kids is all I'm saying yeah, for Seven. She really needs too. them.
2: I would love that. And I forgot that Ichib is now in Starfleet. Did we mention that?
1: No, but I figured he was, because yeah. he was really acting like a an officer, even when he was 17.
2: Yeah, it just makes me happy to Aww. know
1: that he pursued his career while he could. I was really thinking about the Voyager finale, Endgame, Part 1 and 2, because she's dead in that finale. Seven does not make it in this alternate timeline. She's killed on the way back to Earth, and they don't make it home before she dies, and so i just i'm thinking about janeway which you know i did not want to think about janeway while we were watching picard but i was like literally seven is only here because janeway went back in time and now she's helping picard so yeah i'm just saying and, like where do, you do think, it with janeway
2: literally and where do you think seven gets that well of strength that she has and the mom activation <laughs> yeah they're historically bound and i love it anyway should we talk about elnor Yes, please. I love him. He is my child, and he must be protected. (laughs) At all costs. Literally at all costs. Elnor is a lovely adopted Romulan who was adopted by the Kuat Milat, which we talked a bit about in our Discovery.
1: (laughs) Which is so- It's so funny because it was created in Picard, but we talked about it in Discovery. Yeah,
2: Yeah, so we're back here again talking about the incredible Romulan warrior nuns, the Kuat Milat. I love Elnor. I love his Australian accent. I love everything about him. In the episode Absolute Candor, Elnor pretty much adopts Picard as a father, is how I saw these opening flashbacks. When Picard comes to visit Bashti now and again to check on The Romulan refugees that he saved from one of the neighboring planets that was going to be destroyed in the supernova, he relocated all of them to a new planet called Vashti. And Elnor was adopted by the Quat Milot during that time. And so I think that they had a really lovely bond. And I loved these flashbacks.
1: I love them too. Oh God, Picard is just so sweet with him. And we've never seen him be this way with kids before. It's like also what Ed was talking about earlier. Picard day is his worst nightmare. (laughs) But if given the chance and if he finds someone that he likes, I mean, Picard is a great father. I love these scenes. I was wondering though, how long do you think Picard was visiting him? Like, do you think it was a period over five years or do you think it was like one month he spent there? Do you know anything about that? So they did talk about
2: this a little bit in the book, but I'm struggling to remember. My inclination is that it was only when they were in the system. So it was quite a few times, but I think you're right. I think it was over just a couple of months.
1: Yeah, I'm curious because I think we all have figures in our lives that in childhood, we really put on a pedestal. And even if we only met them a couple times, some people can really make an impression And I'm sure Picard is someone who is also a male, which, you know, he's surrounded by females um, and badass warriors. And because of his gender, he is not allowed to join the Kuat Malat. And that is probably a point of sadness for him because they say he is the greatest warrior. So I think meeting someone like Picard who cares about him, who's someone of the same gender, who's honestly an absent father figure, (laughs) really makes an impact on him. And of course, he would not forget. I mean, they were even sword fighting together. And, you know, that's what he pursues is fighting. (laughs) I really saw Picard in a new way. And it was beautiful to see those opening scenes of them playing together is just some of the most beautiful moments in the show.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think like a tiny bit of Patrick Stewart came out in those scenes, because yeah. I mean, at least from what I've seen about him, he seems like a very chipper, happy. I mean, he like plays with his pit bulls all day. So I'm like, yeah, it was just really sweet to see. Something that then is sad, because a lot of how Star Trek goes is like this, where when Picard left and didn't go back to Vashti, he just never came back to say goodbye to Elnor. He never made any sort of visits. We talked about this with Ed as well, that Riker and Troy might forgive him for that, but Elnor was just a boy. He was looking for that father figure, like you said, Ashlyn. And Picard was such that for such a short period that it makes me sad to think of little Eleanor waiting for Picard to come back and he never even got a hail from him or anything.
1: Yeah, I do blame Picard for this only because he's a child. And he promised the nuns, I'll be back soon, even though he knew that something was brewing. I mean, the excuse and the reality is probably he couldn't get there, but did he try? I, I'm right. not sure if he tried because he dismissed from Starfleet and was just rot. I mean, similar to how Rafi lost it. I mean, so yeah. did Picard, same spiral, but different ways of showing it, man, he could have written a letter, sent a hologram to him, you know? So there is a point too, I think that is what Picard may use in, as an excuse not to
2: reach out is because the nuns were really trying to make sure that Elnor got a good home. And so they were looking for people to adopt him and, It just never happened. And so I think Picard assumed he'd gotten adopted and had moved on and had the love and care that he needed as a young boy. Because when Picard in one of the flashbacks visits, one of the sisters of the Quat Milat says, he is loved, but he does not belong with us. And it's true. I mean, I think that's not a place for a child is with a bunch of warrior nuns who have to focus on their bonds, you know, that they make with people. And it's just a dangerous environment for him to grow up in. But it's... What's happening because this is the best that Picard or anyone could do at that point. They're just trying to get them a new home, you know, and that was really all that mattered in the moment. But then you see how it's affecting them now when that's not the only thing that matters anymore. It's tough to watch because then when Elnor is grown up and Picard comes back, he says, you left me on my own, old man. And he's so like vicious about it. Because he just feels abandoned.
1: I think he can't help it because he lives in a place where they only talk in absolute candor, yes. you okay. know? And so if he's hearing silence from Picard, he doesn't read anymore into it because – everyone around him speaks candidly. And so I think the silence is what speaks for Picard. And what Elnor hears is, I don't care about you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a big middle finger to Elnor. <laughs> totally unintentional. I mean, Picard clearly cared about him. That that was not what he meant to do at all. But I think that's partly why he takes it so hard. And also because, like, F him, buddy. He didn't understand. He was a kid. And yeah. Picard doesn't understand that this cannot be fixed in a day. But luckily, Elnor is still in love with him (laughs) you know still puts him on the pedestal and that's why he agrees to join him on the trip
2: i mean the reason he does agree is because he said i realized you needed me this is the devotion and also because he's now a member of the kuat milat he only binds himself to lost causes because that's the mission of the kuat milat so i think that's part of it it's partly loyalty to picard and it's also loyalty to the kuat milat
1: yeah i totally agree Picard's relationship with Elnor really paves the way and sets up his relationship with Dodge and Soji because his 20 years of sitting around at the vineyard had him missing Elnor and missing everybody but still unable to reach out and unable to make those connections and so then when someone comes to him like dodge who needs help and who needs someone to care about her and look after her and protect her there's no way he's not gonna help her you know he's so starved for everything and when an opportunity drops in your lap like that and you're like in your 90s you're like all right let's do it
2: Especially because this is how Picard is. I mean, he used to be the captain of the greatest ship in the fleet, you know? And so he loves, I think, that feeling of helping people. And he has just been making wine, which, like, may work for some people. But I feel like starship captains are their own breed, you know? Like, they get really restless after a while. And this was his
1: time. I couldn't help but think about Genesis. We've talked about this on the yeah. pod before. One line that Kirk says to Picard in the movie Genesis is never retire, turn down every promotion. It's the worst choice you could ever make. And at the time, I think Picard kind of laughed it off. But while I was watching so much of Picard, I'm like, Kirk was right. I know his hand was forced, Picard's was, and he was forced to retire because he had put that on the line. Mm-hmm. So he's dealing with the consequences of his actions and he can no longer be out there saving people. It's just, oh, poor guy. And I don't really think he talks to anybody that often. Do you think it's been 20 years since he talked to Riker?
2: I think maybe. I don't know. I think maybe with them, it might be the occasional message, but not probably like a talk or a visit would be my guess. But oh,
1: except the picture of Picard yeah, holding he did. He that yeah. when they had the baby. That's true. I think about this a lot in my own friendships. And also since we're all virtual now, it's really hard to keep in touch with people if you're having a bad mental health day. (laughs) And Picard had a bad mental health day for 20 years. And it's sad to see. And something else about this show that I'm really learning to love and about the character Picard is before the show came out, I think a lot of us had made guesses as to how it was going to go and what the plot was going to be and who Picard was at this time in his life. And then when you get an answer and there is a show, it's easy to be let down because your imagination maybe came up with a much better plot. But what I'm really learning to love about Picard and about seeing his future now is that he struggled too. You know, he wasn't this perfect, flawless man that we saw for seven seasons. He's a human. And I just think it's, great to be able to have these shows like Ed was talking about where we see the legacy of these characters. We see Riker as a homebody just cooking pizza in this show. (laughs) We see Seven of Nine being a ranger, which wasn't even a job invented back on (laughs) Voyager. (laughs) (laughs) And so I guess as much as I am dismayed and sometimes frustrated with the choices that they make in these shows, and I don't want to see my hero sit around for 20 years doing nothing, but I'm just so happy that we have them here and that we get to talk about them and I just feel like I know him even deeper now because I know what happens in this timeline I just sorry I sometimes go on a Star Trek love rant and you can't get me out of it <laughs> I
2: would want to because you've made so many good points I think also getting to see the darker sides of a character really makes them feel more whole and not as two-dimensional And I think that really helps us sometimes because then it helps us either relate to them more or, like you said, understand them better. So I do
1: agree. I think this show is beautifully done for that reason. Picard is at the end of his journey and we, too, are at the end of our family series. We have just the family of Lower Decks (laughs) to talk about. Rihanna, I would love if you could talk about and promote our new series coming out after we finish Lower Decks.
2: Yes, thank you. So our next series is called Love and Affection. And essentially, this series surrounds all of the connections that our characters make, whether it be a love interest or a partner, or if it's the strong bonds of a crew or friendship and we just wanted to give you guys this series because we know that our family series would often get pretty serious we essentially want to just show our love to you by talking about how these characters love and care for one another within the shows
1: going forward Rihanna and I are just alternating on who chooses the series to come but for love and affection we actually had a Klingon battle in our Patreon series where we each gave each other Star Trek trivia to answer and we fought over the right to claim the next series and Rihanna was the victor by one point I'm still bitter about it (laughs) but it's fine it's fine and so we will be
2: (laughs) you're such a patak (laughs)
1: Um, i don't mean it (laughs) but yeah so rihanna was the victor and i have lost my honor but i will be choosing the next series which we won't announce for a little bit but i thought it was destiny because valentine's day is coming up so love and affection will be a perfect theme and hopefully it will guide us into a loving 2021 also what we're hoping for because we all just need a little bit of that well rihanna thank you so much this has been a really fun episode and it was so great to have ed here ed thank you so much ed johnson from the star trek group in san francisco
2: the needs of the many (laughs) (laughs) the needs of the few but in this group We are many and we want to be many more. The Needs of the Many group is an amazing group. And if you ever want to join, just go to the link in our Patreon, which is in the description. And thank you all so much for joining us. We had a freaking blast. And we will see you next week for our probably short
1: episode of Family in Lower Decks. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the final episode of our family series where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss the familiar relationships in Lower Decks. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. Today, we want to send a thank you to Ivan from New York for becoming a monthly patron for the podcast. Now he has access to our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, Star Trek trivia, and future reviews of the animated series. You too can unlock these perks by donating any amount per month on our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith, and our outro, Worf's Revenge, is by Arillo Voltaire. Did you hear about the new uniform-making machine on the Enterprise? Picard told Riker to make it so, number one.